Time now for the latest news, views, and highlights in affiliate marketing. AFCON 2010 presents Affiliate Affiliate Cast. Online, on demand, and on site. Affiliate Cast. Affiliate Cast delivers exclusive coverage of AFCON 2010 and the affiliate marketing world. Affiliate Cast starts right now. Thank you. So I'm assuming that everybody's here. Is everybody that didn't attend the party last night? <laughs> good. Um, good morning. Thank you very much for taking the time out this morning to come and join Sala and I. Uh, I think we have some exciting stuff to cover today. Um, you know, before we get started, you know, one of the things I, I do want to say is, you know, we should all really thank Darren and Brandy for the amazing job they do to put a conference like this together. It's one of the few conferences in the space that actually focus around education. And the most important thing is that it's free for publishers and affiliates to attend this conference. And I think it's very important um, for publishers to kind of open up their ears and, and listen to the great stuff that's going on here. I find this is one of the most educational and content-driven shows in the space. And it helps to really drive the industry forward. And the people that have come to the show, such as Steve Denton, who's an absolute legend uh, in this industry, and, and my good friend and CEO of Idea Launch, Byron White, who's one of the most amazing content-driven marketers in the space, and, and people like Matt Frary from a, a Smarter Chaos. These people are in the middle of their, their busiest season working with large advertisers and, and a historic retail season online. And these people have taken the time to come down here and really share with us and help to push the industry forward. And I think that's really important, that we all pay something back to an industry that you know, has been so, so good and, and has done such amazing things to us. So uh, with that said, it, it was kind of interesting when uh, Darren and Brandy approached me about doing the uh, uh, keynote today with Sala. I sat back and I looked at the content, and I said, well, you know, I'm kind of uh, known, pretty well known in the industry from being one of the largest super affiliates in the space. But I've had the rare uh, and pleasurable experience of, of building three of the uh, largest affiliate networks in the space and, and several uh, internet marketing agencies, one being Pepper Jam and Pepper Jam Network. And Posa, Intrinsic, and uh, the Intrinsic Affiliate Network were one of the largest search agencies in the country, as well as one of the largest brand protection and affiliate networks. And in, in a, a time where the affiliate industry has come under fire, whether it be tax laws or the FTC standing in, I find it's, it's, it's very important to evolve the industry. It's time for change. And the days of the get-rich-quick and the guys pushing the, the weight loss products and, and all the stuff that's out there that, that's not above the line where consumers don't understand what they're signing up for, the days are over. And if, if some of the products haven't been shut down uh, now, they're going to be shut down soon. So when they approached me about talking about you know, using your business and using the affiliate industry for good, um, very interesting model. And it came at a time where I had a conversation with the chairman of our board, uh, who's the founder of Liz Claiborne, uh, world-renowned individual in that, that particular industry. And he, he, he sat down and he said, you know, let's grab some coffee. Let's, let's talk about something. And I said, well, what's going on? He goes, I was inspired. He goes, I was at an uh, exhibition the other night for uh, a major museum that he's uh, one of the charitable uh, uh, philanthropists for the uh, event. And he said, I was sitting next to the CEO of Macy's. He goes, and I was blown away But what they did um, with, with, they used online marketing for good. And it was kind of ironic because it came at the time that I was, I was asked to do this presentation. And I said, well, you know, 
tell me about what they do. He goes, you know, there, there's a, uh, he goes, you're familiar with Rwanda. And I'm like, over the seas, Rwanda? He's like, yeah. I said, yeah, I, I am. He goes, well, as you know, a majority of the culture has been wiped out. A lot of the females there have lost their significant others to the genocide and, and all the turmoil that has occurred there. He goes, and obviously the economy is, is really bad, and there's a lot of challenges that these people have faced. He goes, I, I, I looked at what Macy's was doing, and he goes, they literally took, um, they donated and they brought experts in that taught the local women kind of their ancient way of, of basket weaving within, within their culture. And they kind of reinstate and they put people in, and they really developed this, this new economy for these people. And, you know, Macy's was selling a few of these, these hand-woven baskets in a couple of their premier stores. But really, where, where they had their success, and they grew from a $100,000 a year business in one year to several million, very quick, and 99% of the sales came from online. And they said one of the key things there is, we were in, in, he was very intrigued by that, and he said to the CEO, he's like, well, what's been the driver? Why, why, why have you seen so many sales come from the online aspect as opposed to uh, the in-store? And you think Macy's on 34th and uh, 34th Street in New York City is going to sell a ton of these things, and they really haven't. He said, honestly, the, the, our ability to tell a story and our ability to show people what uh, the, the, the good that we have created in that economy and what we've done he goes, it's driven our business. And he goes, we've done such amazing things with this. And it kind of got me thinking. I said, well, what happens when affiliates start to look at a model like that? And like I said before, the, the industry is primarily driven by people that want to make money. So it came at an interesting time, and I'm going, how does this fit? And uh, fortunately, I met, I met Sala, and uh, Sala is the founder of Sopo, uh, an absolutely amazing company. And his story inspired me to start thinking about the affiliate industry in a little bit different way. What if there is a model that exists that's a lasting, sustainable model that you develop something beyond just generating clicks to a website? What if you're able to take a look at a higher um, affinity for somebody to come back and purchase from you? So it's similar to start thinking about all these loyalty sites that are out there, like in eBay, it's where you get money for shopping, so on and so forth. What if you're able to use this model for good Think about that brand equity that you're going to build in this. So it became very interesting to start uh, thinking about the affiliate industry in such a way. And that's what inspired me to uh, uh, speak with Sala and start to look at, the, at that industry in new light. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Sala. Um, inspiring story. Thank you, Aaron. Good morning. So, um, as Aaron said, I'm from uh, a different industry, not from the affiliate industry. So, uh, yesterday was very educational for me, and I made some observations yesterday from uh, attending the keynote and some of the, uh, the breakout sessions that really amazed me about what is available to you folks that you've created for yourself and for each other. And I boil it down to the idea of leverage. You know, if you were here yesterday morning, you saw presentations about all kinds of tools that are virtually free and very easy to use that uh, you can sign up for to create more power and uh, drive your business. And it's already pre-built for you. We saw a widget that goes on your uh, website that will capture 
a mobile phone number. We saw a device that will guide a consumer through a purchasing process, brand new technologies that are already made for you. And if you were at the last session of the day yesterday, you learned about how to leverage your customers' brands to create authority for your website. These are things that are just out of the box ready for you. And if you take it kind of a step further, your business is built on an infrastructure that's already out there waiting for you to use. You have the internet available to you. All of you have electricity driven to your home available to you 24 hours a day or to your business. And these are necessary components and they're a huge uh, advantage and a blessing because anyone here with those components can create their own personal prosperity. So I wanted to talk to you today about a trip that I made pretty recently. Actually, I was in Miami um, on my way to the Dominican Republic to have a look at the opposite side of that. People who have no leverage, people who have no infrastructure, and what that means to the way that you live your life, the opportunity that's available to you. And then I'm going to teach you how making relationships with institutions that help people in that uh, kind of an environment can drive your business, create huge opportunities for you with customers, can let you go to work every day and not have to make the decision between whether you're working, whether you're doing good, whether you're serving others. You can do all of this at the same time. And we call this model good returns. So when I went down to the Dominican Republic, um, it was a pretty incredible life-changing trip for me. Uh, I think probably many of you have uh, either been there or seen what the Dominican Republic is like. You get this incredible, beautiful, lush island. Uh, all the way around the island, there is uh, these beautiful resort hotels, white sandy beaches. A lot of people go there for their uh, honeymoon or to have a celebration. And, uh, and that's the picture that we get usually of that island. But if you travel just a little bit inward, just a few miles to the interior of the island, you find some of the deepest poverty that is present anywhere on the planet. I know a lot of you have seen pictures coming out of Haiti, which is on the same island. And it's exactly that kind of imagery that I had the fortune to go see in person, to actually go meet and shake the hands of people who live in that environment. They don't have any infrastructure they don't have internet, but they also don't have electricity. In fact, they don't even have running water coming out of a tap that they can drink. So for them to start a business or to create some sort of personal income is there's a huge obstacle to overcome there. But the amazing thing is that's exactly what people are doing in that environment. There is an institution in the Dominican Republic called Esperanza that means hope. And what they do is they go to the poorest of the poor and they bring them three critical elements that you need to create your own wealth. The first is education. They teach them how to read and write. They teach them some basic fundamental business skill, like maybe how to raise a certain kind of livestock or how to embroider a certain kind of product that somebody would buy in the developed world. The second thing they bring them is capital. And the amount of capital that you need to start a business in that environment is tiny. They give them loans 
of $50, one $50 alone, and some education enables a woman in that environment to start a business and six months later to have an income stream and to have repaid the entire $50 one back. So there's no charity, there's no handout being made there. It's just opportunity that's being provided there. Just like the tools that you learned about yesterday provide opportunity for you at this level, they go at that level and provide an appropriate opportunity for them. And then the third thing that they bring is a little maybe more uh, softer item, and that's hope. They go into these villages and they tell a story of other women who have gone through the same process and show the success that they've been able to achieve and the way that their lives have been able to be changed. And with those three elements, you can transform a person's life from really utter poverty, despair, and no opportunity to being an engine for change in your environment having your own business, having hope for the future, and then being an agent of change in your society. Because the women who succeed in this then start to employ the women around them and eventually lift their entire community up out of poverty. There are six million people in the Dominican Republic who don't have enough food to eat, don't have water every day, and live in these kinds of conditions. But Esperanza has this incredible mission that in one lifetime, they will lift all six million people on that island out of poverty, each one of them having their own opportunity with these tiny little loans and this very special program. So when I went there, I was really moved by uh, what they were doing, how they were making these accomplishments, and came back and asked myself, how can I participate in this process? And it turns out there are amazing ways to participate in the process of solving world problems, whether it's hunger, whether it's healthcare issues, global warming issues, whatever it is that you might have an affinity for or be passionate about that you want to see change in our world. There are institutions just like Esperanza that are working on those problems, not through charity, but through sustainable programs. And that's where your opportunity lies. When you provide capital to an institution like Esperanza, that capital doesn't disappear because they're going to loan it to a woman who's going to use it to create her business and then ultimately she's going to pay that back. And then that cap capital is available for reuse. So when I learned about this cycle of capital, it occurred to me I could pair that up with a business. And every single person in this room can do the same thing. You can take the profits from your business, deploy them for a period of time into a sustainable nonprofit institution, and then allow that capital to do its work for a period of time, and then recapture it, and then take that money home. So every dollar that your business earns has the potential to flow through a nonprofit partner, do good. In the case of Soap Hope, it does good for one year and then come back into your own pocket at the end. That's a different kind of model that's ever been available before in really the history of society, if you think about it. We've typically had businesses that are focused on making money, and then we've had nonprofit institutions where we're all familiar with, where we give money, and they burn those dollars for a good cause, but nevertheless, the money is gone at the end of the, the process.
When you have a sustainable nonprofit institution, you create a cycle, a sustainable cycle where capital can be put into the institution, used for a period of time, and then returned. So here's the concept behind the good returns model and how you can implement it and how it can drive your business. I'm going to use my own company, Soap Hope, as an example for you to make it very concrete. We sell products on the Internet. We have a national audience here. Uh, we sell in all 50 states, and our products are made in the United States. So we're not um, having to go to third world countries and bring products back or anything like that. It's the typical business that anyone in this room could start. In fact, I started this business in my kitchen. I decided I wanted to prove through the experiment of Soap Hope that anybody could participate in this with a very small capital outlay at the beginning. So we bought some soap from some vendors, put up a small shopping site, and started the process of uh, selling retail on the Internet. But we also took the second step of making partnerships with nonprofit institutions who we would deploy our profits into and who would use it for good. So the way it works is at the end of each year, every dollar of profit gets calculated and then loaned for a period of one year, right now to three institutions. One is in Dallas, one's in the Dominican Republic, and one is in South America. Those institutions make two loans with those dollars. They make a loan at the beginning of the year for six months to one woman. When the money comes back, they redeploy it for six more months to another woman. So we get to provide opportunity to two women with one investment. And then at the end of that year-long cycle, those profits are returned to us, and then we pay it out to our shareholders. So really, the business acts just like every traditional business. If you're an owner or if you have investors and you're paying profits out of your excess profits out of your business, our company works exactly the same way. The difference is... I am able to tell my customers 100% of profits go to fight poverty. And that is incredibly compelling. If you haven't seen it firsthand, you can't imagine the power that comes from that kind of a mission to attract and retain customers. But I can give you a little hint about it. If you watch TV, you pretty much can't go an evening without seeing a commercial now from American Express or Pepsi or Visa that's talking about how you can do good. And it's not a coincidence that those companies are doing that. They're doing that because it's a powerful driver of consumer behavior. People want to be able to make an impact with the purchases that they're making, to be able to make an impact with the vendors that they select, and just with their everyday behaviors. In an environment like ours, where it's extremely competitive, where you already have to have the very best price, the very best service, what can you do to differentiate yourself one step further? Well, this model gives you a huge, powerful differentiator, and it's very, very easy to implement. If you partner with the right kinds of sustainable nonprofit institutions, you get a whole slew of advantages to your business. The first is with consumers. How many companies would like to get an email from a customer that says, I just got my package in the mail, and I'm so excited about what you guys are doing that I've called, written, and emailed all of my friends to tell them about you? 
That just doesn't happen when you get a package from The Gap. It doesn't happen when you go shopping, even at, let's say, Whole Foods. This kind of deep social mission attached to your business creates a viral kind of activity among customers. The second thing is your employees. If you're working with employees or partners, you see a dramatic change in the way that they behave at work because they know that every day, every hour, every minute of their day, while they're doing their job, they're also changing lives. They don't have to wait until the end of the day to go home and volunteer. They don't have to wait until Sunday to go to church to make a difference or until next month to go volunteer for the, uh, the food bank. Every single day that you walk into your company and do your job, you're changing the life of somebody around the planet. And then the third thing is, you get special kinds of opportunities from partners. We were very fortunate to um, meet some folks who are in the video production industry who were so moved by what we were doing, and remember, we're a for-profit business, that they donated a 30-second television spot for us. What kind of business do you know that gets other businesses to donate their services to them? It's strictly because of the mission of the company that those kinds of opportunities are available. So let me talk to you about how you can implement something like this. There's basically a three-step process that you go through, and it's a wonderful process. I encourage everybody to do it. The first thing that you need to do is to decide what you're passionate about. What do you love? How, what, in what way would you like to see the world changed? And I ask people this all the time, and the responses are all across the board, and every single one of them is valid. Some people are passionate about pets. In fact, Aaron's fiance uh, loves to uh, volunteer for uh, institutions that help uh, injured animals. Some people are passionate about poverty like I am. There are healthcare initiatives. There are education initiatives. There are even things that maybe seem uh, more businesslike that are very important for our world, like renewable energy sources. Whatever it is that off work you are passionate about, you're spending your time learning about, volunteering for, or making change about, start with that. Find a partner, you can use the internet to quickly find these uh, institutions, that is sustainable. Someone who's not looking for donations and then burns their cash, but someone who's creating a growing, sustainable organization. There are tens of thousands of institutions that are sustainable. You probably haven't heard about them because you haven't looked for them. But the minute you start poking around just a little bit, you will find institutions in every country in the world doing every sort of uh, imaginable service that you can partner with. And then the third thing is to integrate that into your business. It's as simple as making a relationship with just one of those institutions committing to invest all or a portion of your profits for a period of time into that partner, and then advertising what you're doing to your customers and the other constituents in your business. So we did this at Soap Hope. Uh, we started uh, last year. This will be our first full year of business and made three nonprofit relationships. And I can't tell you what an incredible experience it's been. 
We've been featured in Fortune magazine this year. We've been featured in every uh, local publication in Dallas that addresses business or social issues. We've been on TV five or six times this year. These are the kinds of benefits that you automatically are able to reach out for when you have a mission like this. So as much as I encourage people to do this for personal fulfillment, I also encourage you to do it because it's great business. It opens all kinds of doors for you. The people who are passionate about your nonprofit partner will take your offering and spread it like wildfire. The communities that become available to you once you start to integrate a mission into your business are whole areas of partnership and customer opportunities that would have taken years to develop that will just arrive at your doorstep. The key to all of this is to be absolutely authentic. If you're going to make a partnership with a nonprofit, it's absolutely critical that you do exactly what you say that you're going to do because customers are smart, they ask detailed questions, and uh, if you're fudging a little bit, they'll find out right away. So uh, one of the key uh, cautions that I have for you is when you profit uh, when you partner with nonprofits, to be very transparent, very open about what you're doing, and to keep your commitments with them. So today, uh, I hope that what you'll come away with from this introductory talk and also our Q&A session uh, is three things. Number one, you don't have to wait until you've made your millions and retired to make your big impact on the world. You can do it right now every day with your existing business. You can use the good returns model, you can develop your own model, but I encourage you, think about your business as a tool of leverage, not just to make profits for yourself and your constituents, but also to make an impact on the world. Number two, it's not necessary to divide your life into your daily work, your family, and then your giving activities, which most people do. All of these areas of life can be integrated, and you can do it as soon as you leave this room. All it takes is creativity. And I know that this room is full of creativity because it's full of entrepreneurs, and that's the basis of entrepreneurship. All it takes is rethinking what the possibility and opportunity for your business is. Most of us think about the business as that part of our life where we start work in the morning and end work at the end of the day, sometimes very late in the day, but nevertheless. <laughs> and that's just not, that just doesn't have to be that way. When I go to work in the morning, I go to work first with the mission. And I know that it's incumbent on me to make the most money that I can possibly make every day because that drives more loans for more women. It completely changes the way that you approach your day every day. And the third thing is to realize the incredible leverage that you have and to consider extending some leverage to someone who doesn't have any. We are incredibly blessed with so many resources. I was kind of amazed when I found out that the conference that was put on here was free. We have not only all of the resources that you had 
uh, in your business that we talked about earlier, you also have free resources, free advice, free community, intelligent people, the ability to read and write. These are things we forget that are uh, available to us because they're ubiquitous. They're not available to everybody in the world. So I encourage you to get very conscious about what it is that you have for leverage in your life today, and then use your business to extend leverage to others in the world who deserve that kind of opportunity as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Saul. One of the things I really find unique about business is that it's very difficult to start a business, especially in today's economy. And, you know, one of the things that I've always found in my businesses, and it's been about surrounding yourself with good people and being able to leverage the, the greater force of the team. You've been able to partner with world-class leadership and, and talent. And how does, how's, one thing that I think affiliates still struggle with in, in this particular business is that a lot of it's not treated like a business model. Mm-hmm. And just because people can work from home and it, it, it seems like it's easy money and it's great because you can partner with all these great brands, I don't feel that affiliates truly treat it like a business. And quite often they don't leverage, uh, to, to your point, you know, a lot of the tools and a lot of the people that are available in the marketplace. How did you go about finding those people to really kind of take your business to the next level and be able to leverage their networks and their talent and their expertise to really build a strong brand like you did? Well, uh, this is my second business. Soap Hope is my second business. My first uh, business was not consumer-based. It was a, a technology company, and its clients were other businesses. And um, it grew to a decent size. It had about 60 employees. It wasn't until maybe the seventh or eighth year of business that I was able to get really strong, capable advisors to help me uh, with either relationships, opening doors at customers, uh, providing guidance on things like uh, bringing capital into the company, some of the more sophisticated topics that a business has to deal with as it grows. On day one, it was very difficult to bring advisors to the table because why would person A or company B want to help my company that's really just you know, in it for itself and for its shareholders? Well, of course they wouldn't. They would go do that for themselves and for the people that they care about. This business, on the other hand, was able within maybe four weeks of launch to begin bringing very powerful, experienced advisors on board who provide their time, their expertise, and their relationships to us absolutely free because of our mission. So we created um, an, a board of advisors. We actually took an approach that's kind of a marketing approach. We gave it a name. We call them our ambassadors of hope. And right now there are 100 ambassadors of hope. And in fact, the reason why I'm at this conference today is because of an ambassador of hope in my network contacted um, some of the conference uh, founders here and put us together. And they open all kinds of doors for our business. We communicate with them every two weeks through email. And we make it very simple for them to help. We ask them to do one thing that will take less than five minutes. These are uh, business owners, philanthropists, journalists, 
community leaders, the people who are members of this incredible team are both uh, very valuable, but also very busy. So I take a few minutes uh, every other weekend and ask myself, what could somebody in my board of advisors do that would have a powerful impact on my business? And then I ask them to either give me a piece of advice or connect me with somebody or communicate to their network of contacts uh, about something that's going on at Soap Hope. So I definitely advise everybody who is in business to create a ring around them of advisors. It's so much better to have people with other perspectives give you input, uh, not just people from your industry, not just the people who you're listening to here today, this uh, two days to give you specific advice, but also just general people who have been successful in their lives. It's much, much easier to bring those people on board if you're doing something that resonates with them because if you're giving, then they feel compelled to give to you. So one of the extra benefits of doing something like this is to be able to build that ring of advisors more quickly. And I would say it's been invaluable for Soap Hope and its growth over the last year. I definitely recommend it. Excellent. You know, in, in this particular industry, like I said before, it's, it's difficult to not only start a business, but with the, uh, the affiliate industry being one of the greatest forms of entrepreneurship, where you have this opportunity to partner with these brands, you've actually leveraged those partnerships and, and basically an affiliate program, uh, for lack of better terms, to really build that brand. What tips do you have for somebody that's, that's starting out in business? What do you feel are the, the critical things to start a business the right way? And, and to stand for something that's ethical, an industry that's plagued with a lot of shortcuts and, um, you know, kind of a, a sense of needing to be cleaned up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what couple of tips do you have for somebody if they're starting out today and they want to build a legitimate business model around something uh, like you've been able to do? Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you have for them? I think the first thing is to have, I'll use my own term and say have hope. The place to start is to believe in your own ability to create a sustainable business. I think people take shortcuts because they think that it's going to be either too hard or impossible for them to create a valuable business. And so they look for the quick way or they look for a trick or something that can get them there faster, maybe by going outside the lines or going into a gray area. But that's not necessary. You can look around you and see examples of success everywhere at the conference and pretty much everywhere you go. So the first thing to do is to create a sense of hope for your own self and your own business and then get committed to that. If I use Soap Hope as an example, you know, you can go on the Internet and type in... Uh, the name of a brand that we sell, or you can type in the words natural soap, and you will see thousands of businesses that are in that space. I mean, it, the competition is insane. So having started a business before, when we went into this, I didn't just start it up. I did my research. And I saw that same competitive insanity, but that didn't stop me from starting the company. I didn't say, oh, well, it's so competitive that I can't do it. Or it's so competitive, I'm going to have to find some trick, some gimmick 
uh, or, or entice people through something you know, gray to get kickstart my company. You just have to be creative. And you have to have faith that you have the ability to, to solve a problem like that. So it was a no-brainer for us to say, you know what, we could sell this. We could sell anything. All we have to do is be as good as everyone else out there. And there's nothing stopping anyone in this room from being as good as anyone else out there at what you do. And then add something to that. And the way to add something to that is to do what you are passionate about, what is moving to you. That's your competitive differentiator. Anyone in this room can start a soap hope. Anyone in this room could go find some manufacturers of a product, put up a website, start selling those products, and compete on an even playing field with everybody else. But only you can do that one thing that you are passionate about. That's what's different about your business. So I think the first thing that people have to do is to have confidence in themselves and their ability to be successful. And when you're tempted, if you are, by maybe some of these shortcuts that you're talking about, recognize that for what that is. That's not a shortcut, that's just doubt that you don't have what it takes, that you don't have the commitment or that you don't have the smarts. That's just not true. You're here today, you have the commitment, you have the intelligence. So instead of taking the shortcut, just take that as a lesson. Put it aside and say, okay, I don't need that. I'm going to build something with lasting value. And then I would say uh, the second thing is to be very, very clear in communicating with everybody around you about that one thing that does differentiate you. Because uh, it's easy to fall into the um, kind of my own bubble type of uh, thinking. So you become very educated about uh, the things that matter to you, and you forget that the guy standing right next to you he might have a lot of respect for you, and he might understand a little bit about what it is that you're doing, but he doesn't have all of your background and experience. So if you're talking to partners, if you're talking to customers, you have to communicate over and over and over and over again because you are now the expert in the thing that you're passionate about, not them. So I would say uh, clear communication and uh, belief in yourself are the foundations for creating a successful business. Well said. Very well said. Uh, you know, one of the things I see in the industry today is that there's, there's a lot of opportunity for affiliates to leverage a model like this. And one of the things that, you know, I think is, is very important is that people may, uh, may or may not know where to start. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think you're a great, valuable resource where I'm sure people can contact you and leverage your expertise on where to start if they want to do that. What other ways can people partner uh, if they weren't able to get their own business model up and running and, you know, they're struggling where to start? How can they partner with Sopope to, to deliver uh, value to their audience that they have within their site and their community? Well, uh, I'll give you two ways. One specific that has to do with us. Um, I love to teach entrepreneurs how to do the good returns model, our specific way of partnering with nonprofits. And anybody who is interested, I'd love to sit down with you, have a phone conversation with you, come out to Dallas and visit with us, and we'll show you how it's done. Um, 
You can uh, see our company at SoapHope.com, and you can uh, find links there to all kinds of resources, including a blog that's specifically dedicated to the Good Returns model, where you can learn some specifics about it. Having said that, if you want to develop your own way of making relationships with uh, nonprofits or other kinds of institutions that are doing good in the world, I would um, caution you about a couple of things. The first is to remember that a nonprofit is like a business in the sense that they have to operate an organization, they have a certain amount of resources that are available to them, they've got a certain amount of time that's available to them, and not to be discouraged if you find this amazing nonprofit that you want to work with and you go to them and say, I'm going to do something incredible for you guys. I'm going to invest all my profits in you, and I'm going to bring 10 more friends of mine, and we're all going to do that too. And they say, why don't you spend a little time developing your business and come back later? Not to be discouraged about that kind of response on day one. I think yesterday um, we were, I was in the pan or listening to the panel talking about how to choose an affiliate network. And every single person on the platform said, if the affiliate network will take you on day one, you better run and find a different affiliate network to work with. Because they're selective. The ones that are very successful are also the ones that have the highest barriers to partnership. And it's the same with a nonprofit institution. So you're not going to be able to go to the Gates Foundation tomorrow and get an audience there. That is going to take a period of time of building up a track record of creating smaller, stable partnerships first. So it's like your business. Take it one step at a time. So what I advise is, once you find that partner area that you want to work in, then start doing what you would do if you were building business relationships. Go network. Go volunteer. Uh, provide a product or a service to them to introduce yourself and build some trust there. And then, little by little, build that relationship. It'll happen faster than you think. I talked to six or seven nonprofit partners uh, about investing Soap Hope's profits who told me no on day one before I found the right one to start with. That was in October of last year. Now, just a little bit over a year later, we're partnered with the largest microfinance institution in the United States. So it doesn't take a long time to get there, but be patient when you find that first partner, grow that relationship, and then use it as leverage to take you to higher and higher levels of partnership. Excellent. You know, one of the things that uh, you and I discussed is an, another uh, kind of short route to partnering with SOHO would uh, be in the coming weeks to potentially partner uh, with your affiliate program that will be hosted on the Intrinsic Affiliate Network. So if you're looking for a way to get involved with Soap Hope and, and do something for good, especially in the, uh, the, the economy we're in and, and the time of year where we are, we're at that time of year where giving becomes a critical thing, mm -hmm. uh, we are going to be working on a model where affiliates are going to be able to partner with Soap Hope and be able to monetize uh, their networks of audiences for good. So uh, stay tuned to hear some of, some of that in the coming weeks, uh, some announcements between Saul and I. Um, right now, I'd, I'd kind of like to open up to uh, Q&A. We, we, we have somebody from outside the industry who brings a lot of um, kind of fresh look in this industry. So I urge anybody with questions to, uh, to uh, 
So that's, I get that question all the time. <laughs> the expression, it's really important to get the power of the model across to consumers that you use the right language. Because you can't say you're donating 100% of your profits. That's not what you're doing. And you absolutely have to be honest if you're doing something good. So we are very clear in our language. We say we invest 100% of profits into sustainable nonprofit partners. And so the way that works is at the end of the year, like at the end of 2010, our accountant will do a calculation of the profits for the year. Profits come after you've paid yourself. They come after you've paid your employees. They come after you've paid all of your expenses. What's left at the end of the year, we will write checks to three nonprofit partner institutions and a loan agreement that says you can have this money for a year at no interest, and then at the end of the year, you repay that money, and that's where the ownership profits that you as an entrepreneur get come back to you. So really, you're just allowing another institution to use your profits for one year, and then they're yours to do with as you like. And to clarify it, I'm not suggesting that you go for a year without any income. You should pay yourself a salary out of your business. You should do all of the things that a typical business does. You just don't pay yourself a dividend. You don't pay your shareholders a dividend until that money has done its service for one year. A lot of times I liken this to kind of the Peace Corps of money. If I was to go to a, um, a college student and say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Guatemala and go into a remote village there and spend the rest of your life serving the women there. Nobody would take me up on that, not one single person. But there are tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of college students that go all around the world every year and spend one year doing a social program. So it's exactly the same idea here. I'm not asking anybody to give up all their profits for the rest of their life. I'm saying take the profits from your business for just one year, Lend them out interest-free at the end of the year, take that money back. Some people ask me if it's worth doing that. What is the cost of doing that? And I ask, well, if you were to take that dividend, let's say your company spit out $100,000 in dividends. If you were to take that and put that in the bank, at the end of the year, how much interest would the $100,000 have earned? And in this environment today, that's practically zero. But even back when the economy was very strong. If you bought a bond with that money, you could have made maybe $5,000. Well, what is a full-page article in Fortune magazine worth? Is it worth $5,000? What is a free television ad worth? Is it worth $5,000? Is it worth $5,000 for your employees to be passionate about coming to work every day? Is it worth $5,000 to be written up in your local magazines and get free advertising? Of course it is. Yeah, any marketing department would spend that $5,000 in a heartbeat. So the, although the end result of this is that you get to make a great impact and uh, do something that's very meaningful to you personally, even if you were to take that completely out of the equation, this is a very powerful business model that stands on its own just for the value that it brings to the business. I'm getting nods for about out of time, and, and, and so I want to thank you. Uh, for coming and sharing with us. 
Um, it's, it's been truly a pleasure meeting you and the uh, knowledge that you have around the space and the, the model that I think that could be used in leveraging the affiliate space is very, very powerful. If anybody else would love to see some additional models that are going to occur, some of the favorite models I personally love for 2011. Uh, we're going to be doing a session later today at 3 o'clock. One of the most respected people in the industry, Chris Graham, my vice, uh, vice president of business intelligence, will be joining me, and we're going to talk about where the industry has this kind of came from and evolved and kind of where we think it's going and, and some models outside of uh, the, t the typical pieces. And one of the things we're going to touch on is we're going to elaborate a little bit on this as well as some other models that uh, we think are that do exist. So, Saul, once again, thank you very much for sharing with us. Uh, you've, you've been fantastic. and.